Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Are you ready for the Word today? Hey, it's Palm Sunday. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, today, as you're opening up your Bibles, if you have them with you and you would like to get ahead, you can look at Isaiah chapter 53. We'll be reading out of Isaiah 53 in a moment. It'll also be on the screen here. And welcome to all of you who are watching uh, all over the world. God bless you. I appreciate you watching. Each week we get to minister to, you know, a thousand extra people or so that aren't here, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll watch via, you know, Facebook Live or some other medium or uh, medium or uh, uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're here at Palm Sunday at Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. You get a chance to come by and see us, come on down. And today, our message will be entitled, Been There, Done That. Okay? <laughs> well, that'll make sense a little bit later. Been there, done that. All right. As I said, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of the holiest week in all of Christendom. This week, beginning today, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the weekend, it's the week beginning. Sunday is the first day of this particular week is that holy week in which Jesus, at the end of this week, would be arrested, beaten, crucified, buried, and then on the first day of next week, Sunday, next Sunday, Resurrection Day. I am excited about that. But today is the day in history that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled a 500-year-old prophecy by the prophet Zechariah. You may remember it uh, uh, in Zechariah 9.9. Uh, it, it was about him riding into Jerusalem on a little donkey, the colt the foal of a donkey. And he rode in in this triumphant entry. It was, it, it, it was worthy of a king and they laid palm branches down in front of him. They laid branches down so the little donkey walked on branches. It was like, you know, a, a, a bed of roses uh, might, might be, you know, you put roses out for uh, brides to walk on. It was that kind of thing. And they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the king of kings. You know, the Lord comes, the Lord saves. Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, Jesus, the Son of God, is the perfect lamb that was to be sacrificed that week. You see, about 1,500 years earlier, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And before he brought them out, he told them to kill a lamb to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of their homes. And that night, the angel of death visited Egypt and all who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their homes, the angel of death passed over them. That's Passover. The angel of death passed over them and they passed from death unto life. Now, for 1,500 years, the children of Israel had been continuing to celebrate that feast of Passover on that certain day of the year. For 1,500 years, there had been a dress rehearsal. 
because God was showing them what he would one day do in sacrificing a perfect lamb, not every year, but once for the sins of all mankind and how the blood of the lamb placed in our heart and in our life would cause the angel of death to pass over us and we would pass from death unto life. We would be born again, never to die. For 1,500 years they had been doing that. And here on this particular year, in this week, in this coming week in history, about the year A.D. 30, Jesus began this week by riding in to Jerusalem on a triumphant entry on a little colt that had never been ridden before. Then he spent his week teaching in the temple. And then at the end of the week, he gave his life on the cross of Calvary. Jesus is the promised Messiah. 800 years earlier, Jesus was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The prophecy that Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53 is understood as a messianic prophecy. That means a prophecy that was aimed at Messiah. And so for 800 years, the people in Jerusalem had been hearing this prophecy. It was very familiar. The book of Isaiah was read constantly and everyone understood. The disciples of Jesus were raised hearing it. All the people in Jerusalem were raised hearing it. Jesus was raised hearing it. And here we read it today. Pointing at Messiah, Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Messiah, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty. There's nothing special about him that we should desire to be with him. Could you imagine seeing the Messiah and yet realizing that there's nothing special about this man? I mean, Jesus looked ordinary. That's what Isaiah said. When you see him, you won't recognize him as anything special. He will be ordinary, no form, no comeliness that when you see him that you would even desire to hang out with him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. 
So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. This prophecy pointed at a Messiah that the Jews believed God would one day send. He would send a deliverer, a deliverer who would set them free and deliver them from their mortal enemies. For generations, scholars wondered how in the world this lion of Judah that was prophesied about could ever become this suffering servant, this one who was to bear the sins, this one who was prophesied by Isaiah to enter into death, this one that there was nothing special about, this one that others did not esteem, this one that was stricken and smitten even by God and afflicted, this one who went down into death. How could he? be Messiah. It was confusing. It was perplexing. For generations, scholars wondered how this coming Messiah could suffer and die as a servant and yet still be a victorious king who would deliver them from their mortal enemies. The disciples didn't understand it either. They had walked with Jesus. They had talked with Jesus. They had spent their time. They had invested in him. They had believed that he was Messiah, but they could not understand how could this Lamb of God be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Today is the day in history. On a Sunday, about the year A.D. 30, when the great multitude who had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, the Bible says in John 12, verse 13, that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of Israel. They were expecting something from him. They did not understand. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. But his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, 
when Jesus was resurrected, when they saw him in his glory, they remembered that these things were written about the Messiah and that they had done these things to the Messiah. You see, before Jesus was resurrected from that tomb, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, the disciples, those that walked with him and talked with him, they did not understand. They had invested everything they had in him being Messiah. But something had happened. Before he walked out of that tomb, they didn't understand. But after his resurrection, they did. Their perspective changed. Their image of who they were serving all of a sudden changed. Everything changed. And it all of a sudden made sense when before it had not. You see, before the resurrection, the disciples were confused. They had believed that this Jesus of Nazareth was the promised coming king. They really believed that. And they had left everything and they had, they, they, they had invested everything. They had they left their jobs and left their families. They had left their fortunes and, and futures. And they had been walking and following and serving this one who was to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They had watched him walk on water. They had watched him calm the seas with one spoken word. They had seen him heal the sick. They, had, they, they, they were there whenever he took a few fish. And some, and, and some bread and he broke them and fed five, ten, perhaps 15,000 people. They had witnessed heaven opening up and a voice coming to confirm that he was the son of the living God. And yet, he died. They never expected him to die. They watched him be shamefully betrayed by a kiss from one of their own inner circles. He was unfairly arrested. They saw him wrongfully accused. They saw him viciously maligned with lies and yet he said nothing. He did not defend himself nor offer himself when they imagined he could have called 10,000 angels, but they watched him be brutally beaten, unjustly sentenced, and cruelly crucified. They watched all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their beliefs. They watched their faith die on a cross alone, rejected, despised, in shame crying out with his last breath, my God, my Father, why have you forsaken me? They watched him die between two thieves. Surely this could be no Messiah. He could never be the eternal king of the Jews. They went and they locked themselves in a room for fear that they too would be arrested for having associated themselves with him. They were lost 
in their fear. They were undone by the images they had seen, by, the, by, the, by, by what they had witnessed. They, 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 their, their hope was gone. Their faith was gone. They, they had nothing left. Their lives were empty. If he could deliver anyone, surely, even as the Roman soldier said, he would deliver himself. But yet, he did not. And they did not understand the scriptures and the prophecies of this lamb who was a lion. At least they did not understand it until the third day when he rose victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. This same Jesus who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians says, he became sin. He suffered as a human because in our flesh we could not please God. So God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh but without sin. And he who knew no sin became sin, took upon himself the sins. He laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see, he had to suffer death. For without suffering death as a human, he would never be accepted into the chamber of death where stood the devil who had power over death and hell, who had the keys of death and hell. And the Word tells us that in this plan that Almighty God had, that Jesus stood face to face with him who had power over death. And he took from him the keys of death and hell. He made a show of him openly. He triumphed over him in it. And there he led captivity captive. And offered us eternal life. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is the sting? Where is the victory of the grave? There is none. For he is risen. According to the scriptures, Messiah must come first as a suffering servant to pay for the sins of all mankind. If I may speak for Jesus for just a moment, allow me on his behalf to say, been there, done that. Been there, done that. Once was enough. You see, the first time Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a young colt, the first time he acted like a lamb on his way to slaughter. The first time he opened not his mouth. The first time he was like a sheep headed for the shears. The first time he was meek and mild. The first time he suffered alone. The first time he was beaten. The first time he died. But that was the first time. Been there, done that.
the prophets foretold of a coming Messiah who would have the iniquity of all mankind and the transgressions of every sinner laid upon him and he would carry that to the grave. That's what the prophets wrote, but that's not where the prophets stopped their writings. Even after the resurrection, even the disciples understood. They all of a sudden saw him different than they had ever seen him before. All of a sudden, the scriptures made sense. And they realized that what had been written in Isaiah was done to him. And had to be done to him. But they realized that's not the only word that was written about this coming king. Even the apostle John, who was the disciple, we say, whom Jesus loved, who, who laid upon his breast there at the Last Supper, even John, the, the, the one who lived the longest there in his 90s perhaps, maybe close to 100 years old, he begins to write. And he writes because, let's read in the, in, in the book of Revelation in, in, in chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What? That's a Sunday. That's the Lord's day. A day like today. It was on a day like today that he was worshiping the Lord, that he was giving his attention to spiritual things, just like the disciples had ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> And I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His hair, his head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was of the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead and he said uh, he laid his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid I am the first and I am the last <laughs> I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. 
Oh, John begins to write and he writes this marvelous apocalyptic glimpse of yet days to come, shortly to come upon the earth. And as he is concluding this book of Revelation in chapter 19, he writes beginning with verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Hallelujah. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't be mistaken about the Jesus you currently serve. He fulfilled all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah as a suffering servant who came to die on a cruel cross and give his life a ransom. He saved the souls of mankind from eternal damnation. Praise be to God. I will never know the depths of hell. Praise be to God. We have been set free and delivered from our immortal sins. He is Messiah, but the next time you see him, <laughs> he won't be acting so much like a lamb as like a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, this is the season of the year that we should challenge ourselves and check the image of the Son of God that we hold in our lives. This is the season in which the disciples, when they entered into this season on Palm Sunday, they did not see him like they saw him after the resurrection. On this week, they watched him suffer and die. They did not understand, but this is the season in which the image of their Savior, the image of their Messiah was challenged and changed. I am in no way attempting to minimize what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. It was necessary and it was for a time. But the next time you see Jesus, he won't be some namby-pamby, mild-mannered pushover who loves everyone so much that it's dripping off of him like molasses and he's afraid to push back against sin. No, let me tell you, it was necessary for eternal justice to be satisfied. But please don't get your current image of Jesus from the cross. He got off that cross. 
done that. Had to be done. The Bible says he did not look forward to it. He despised the shame. He did it for one reason, to fulfill every prophecy, to fulfill every word, to make sure justice was satisfied, to make sure your soul was saved, to make sure that he had the keys of death and hell. He had to keep silent, for if he'd opened up his mouth, ten thousands of thousands of angels would have come and delivered him, for he was the Son of Almighty God. He was clothed in a body. He was given an earthly body. He took upon himself the form of sinful flesh so that when you see him, you would not desire to be with him. There didn't look like anything special could come from him. What was special? Nothing. There was no form, no comeliness that when you saw him, you would desire to be with him. But that has changed. If you had a picture of him, if somebody had taken an iPhone snapshot of Jesus and then the next time you see him, it wouldn't be the same. Get a new image of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the first time he rode into Jerusalem on a young colt, the foal of a donkey, the next time he's coming on a great white horse. You see, the first time he acted like a lamb on his way to slaughter, this time he's coming to slaughter all those who oppose him. There's been a little change. The first time he opened not his mouth, this time he opens his mouth and out comes a sharp two-edged sword. The first time he was like a sheep headed for the shears. This time he will strike the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. The first time he was meek and mild. This time his eyes are like flames of fire. The first time he suffered alone. This time he's bringing his armies with him. Praise be to God. I serve a risen Savior. The first time he was beaten, <laughs> been there, done that. This time he's coming to make war and to recompense vengeance upon all those who are ungodly. He counts it a righteous thing to recompense vengeance upon those who harm his children, he said. The first time he died. Been there, done that. This time, when he comes in glory, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess of those in the earth and those above the earth, of those in the sea, of those in the bowels, of those in hell. Every knee, every demon, every devil, every principality, every power, Satan himself shall bow his knee and declare he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All Almighty God, He is risen indeed. God wants to make sure that we have the right image of His Son. 
Who is our soon coming king? Today I challenge you to change your image like the disciples did. Before the resurrection, they didn't understand. He looked normal, just a good guy with a little power. But all of a sudden, they saw him in his glory. And when we see him, it shall be in his glory. He will not be mean, but he will not be meek and mild. He will not be unloving or uncaring, but he will be finite in his mission to destroy sin from off the earth. He will come in his glory with all power and all majesty. When they saw him, they did not desire to be with him. That has changed. For when we see him, the Bible says, we shall be changed to be like him. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this mortal shall cast off its mortality and I shall be clothed upon, you shall be clothed upon with an incorruptible body, a body that is pure, a mind that is pure, and we shall serve the Lord with gladness, and we shall never be separated from the light of His glory. Let's embrace. Let's embrace a victorious image of our soon coming King. Today, if you are not born again, it could be because you don't see him as he is. You may have seen him as he was and maybe that's, you know, not your image of somebody that can take care of you throughout eternity. Let me challenge you to see him again. Only Jesus of Nazareth known and written about 2,000 years ago has any chance whatsoever of fulfilling the prophecies written thousands of years earlier. Only Jesus of Nazareth was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, was called a Nazarene, suffered and died and was raised on the third day. Only Jesus is your Savior. This morning, if you're not sure that this Jesus is your personal Savior, then today you can make sure you must be born again. You can't get a relationship with Jesus by just believing in him or by doing good things you must receive him he said all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved salvation is the most important work of the church salvation is the most important work of every believer and salvation is the most important decision you will ever make 
Will you be born again? Will you say yes to Jesus?